This is the audio of Bible study taught by Pastor Adam Moline from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. You can find our website at goodshepherdlincoln.org, and there's a uh, treasure trove of other information available there as well. Uh, let's get into Bible study now. All right, well, we'll pick up then on um, page 29, and we'll start diving into baptism then. Now, um, the first thing that we need to talk about is um, what a sacrament is, because baptism is a sacrament. And uh, as Lutherans, we kind of use the the old definition um, that's been around for thousands of years. And if you wanted to make it a math equation, you could do that. That it is a physical object plus God's Word, and it brings the forgiveness of sins. Okay, so that's what a sacrament is. A physical object plus God's Word that brings the forgiveness of sins. Okay, and it's not just any physical object in any section of God's Word. And so what I mean is this. We can't take this wooden podium and then speak a section of God's Word. Um, I'm trying to think of a God oh, section of Word that would go with a podium, but I can't, right? Uh, we can't say uh, over this piece of wood, uh, Judas went and hanged himself and uh, expect it to be a sacrament now in this particular wooden podium. We have to do it combined with, uh, according to God's command, okay? So there's particular physical objects which God has uh, applied His Word in a command for fashion, and, and those then bring the forgiveness of sins, okay? And so for us as Lutherans, taking that definition and looking across all the things in the Scripture, we have two sacraments that we find in the Scripture. And the first one is baptism. What's the physical object? Water. And what's the Word? Jesus. Oh, sorry. No, yeah, He is the Word. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Jesus is the Word. The Word... There's, there's a couple different places where it talks about it, but the one that's perhaps most clear is Matthew chapter 28. Jesus says, When you have gone, make disciples of all nations by baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have commanded you. Okay, so we have God's Word attached to the water, and that then is the sacrament of baptism. Okay? Um, What's, and then our other sacrament is the Lord's Supper. What's the physical object in that? Bread and wine. And what are the word? What's the word that's attached to it? That's yeah. That's a section of it. Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit's present in the Word. Always, always, always. Yeah. Christ said, "Take, eat. This is my body. Take, drink." This is my blood. And that word attached to that physical object then makes the Lord's Supper a sacrament. So we have baptism, we have the Lord's Supper, the two sacraments that we, um, we believe in. 
where we have the physical object attached to God's word that brings the forgiveness of sins at Christ's command. Now, I know um, some of you have background in the Catholic Church or other church bodies where they have a different number of sacraments. So take, for example, the Catholics would say that um, marriage is a sacrament. And while we wouldn't deny that it's a blessing from God and instituted by God according to command by His Word, what don't we have? We'd say we don't have a physical object, okay? Or um, one that we're on the border uh, with, for us as Lutherans, is confession and absolution, right? Is confession a sacrament? Well, what's the physical object again? There's not one. Now, why we're on the border with it is confession and absolution really brings us back to baptism, right? Because what do we say about baptism? That daily we drown and die in the waters of holy baptism so that a new man can arise to live before God. And how does that happen? We say we're sinners, (laughs) And we are raised again by God's word that says your sins are forgiven. And so confession and absolution, in one sense, is the day-by-day carrying out of our baptism. And so we say we're on the fence with that one. Some places we say it is, and some places we say there's only two. Um, and that's the reason why. Okay, any questions about a sacrament? what it is. Now we do want to talk about the difference um, between a sacrifice and a sacrament as well. So that's the very the thing on the top of the page. And the difference is who is doing the verb? Okay? Who is the subject doing the verb? In a sacrifice, who does the doing? I do. Right? Uh, uh, one of us, or something we do for God. Okay? So if we were going to sacrifice the vicar, who's the one who runs the knife? Better run fast. I have a truck. <laughs> okay? Uh, in a sacrament, though... Who's the one who does the doing? God, right? And we have to say that too. It's not the pastor, okay? Because pastors don't have a magical ability to do these things. I can't, by my own doing, change bread into Christ's body or change water into a life-giving flood. I can't do that by some magical ability. Who can do that? God. Now, he does it through the word that I speak, but it's still him doing the doing. We have to make that clear because of... um, So we're talking about baptism. This is a good one to talk about that with. Many Christians in America today believe baptism is something they do. Where, as Lutherans, we say it's something God does. And it goes like this, okay? And this is the church I was raised in. Before I could be baptized, I had to stand in front of the church and say, um, 
I accept Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. And that was my action that then was fulfilled in me getting into the water and being baptized. I was making the promise. And it was all on me, not on God. Now, what's the problem with that in the long run? (laughs) I'm guaranteed to fail at that promise, right? And in fact, it wasn't too much after I'd been baptized that I had done what? Sinned. Sinned. (laughs) What does that mean about my promise? You can never be sure about your promise. You can never fulfill your end of what you promised to do. But if baptism is God's work, what's God's nature? He's perfect. If he makes a promise, is he going to keep it? Absolutely. Absolutely he is. And so that's why it's a sacrament. He's doing the doing, not a sacrifice, us doing the doing. And that's one of our issues with all of our Baptist friends and all of the people that are in that um, Reformed background and their understanding on these things. All right, I've said lots of things. Questions? Is the part where you get that from is where Christ talks about his father drawing him to him? Is that where they kind of get that? That is part is God's drawing us in, not the other way around. That's one of the places where we get it. Um, an interesting thing that is in the scriptures in the Greek, but is not in the scripture as clearly in the English, um, just because we don't have this way of speaking as, as, as much as they did in the Greek. Many times the verb to baptize is in the passive voice. Okay? In fact, I'd say a majority of the times where it's being used that way, it's in the passive voice. Now, what that means is um, if the active voice for the verb to hit, right? If I'm hitting the vicar, I'm actively doing the doing. If it's passive, then we would say someone is hitting the vicar, right? He's being hit. The, he's the subject of the verb, but the verb is still then happening to him. It's being done to him, maybe is the way to say it. And that's the way it talks about baptism in the scriptures as well, that it's being done to the person. They're not actively doing it. That's in the scriptures all over the place, but it's not easy to translate it into English that way because to make the passive voice work in English, you have to add a lot more words. (laughs) Whereas in Greek, you just change two letters and all of a sudden you're in the passive voice. Okay, and I'm oversimplifying a little bit, but... Um, yeah. Okay, might be totally different, but when we go to like adult baptism, do they? It, it's kind of like when you were saying it's kind of like a confession of faith, right? Also, what you're saying. <clears throat> and in adult baptism, do we have to make sure, or is there some sort of state, like closed communion? We don't let people come up. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Uh, we might get there, but I'll, no, 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 I'll answer it right now. Um, baptism is God's work. 
That's why we baptize little babies, right? Because um, God is making the promise. So the last month we've had three or four baptisms, right? Last week we had twins baptized. What did those twins that we baptized last week do to be baptized? What's, they just laid there, right? And I suppose they cried, maybe. But is that the work of baptism? Did they apply the water? Did they speak the word? Did they promise to be a Christian? No. They were completely passive. Well, what about an adult? That's the question. Um, because what we do before we baptize someone is we do train them on the basics of the faith. Right? Yeah. We, we do that because we want them to know what they're getting into, because they're able to be trained. At the same time, is that the action of baptism? Who's doing the work in baptizing? It's still God that's doing it. Even though, so with a baby, we can't teach confirmation class to babies. (laughs) Um, We could. Would Would it do anything? No, they need to be a little bit more advanced to be able to understand, but God can still make that promise. But we don't want to baptize someone and lead them necessarily into forsaking their baptism because we haven't taught them what they're being baptized into as an adult. That's why if baptism was just some magic um, get people into heaven thing, we would be wise to buy a fire hose and to go downtown before Nebraska football games and hook up the fire hose and just spray everybody in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Because then they'd all be baptized, right? They might be angry at us, though. They might not understand. They might forsake their baptism. Um, and that's why we want to make sure we do that education with it, which is what, like this, what this class is. Yeah. I don't know if I answered it or not. Okay. Okay. All right. So, other questions. Difference between a sacrifice and a sacrament. The definition of a sacrament. A physical object connected to God's word brings forgiveness of sins at God's command. Okay. When did God institute baptism? We already read this, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. My confirmation verse um, is uh, 19 and 20. Uh, Christ said, this is after his resurrection from the dead, before his ascension. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples of all nations by means of baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. I would make an argument that's also pointing us towards the Lord's Supper. And then it says, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Does Christ command us to baptize in that? Yes. Yes, he does. And that's the reason then that that's the place where he institutes it. That's the reason that we do it. Christ has said it. And thereby, that's what we do. We baptize. Okay? Questions about that? We have to understand what the word baptize means also. Okay? In Greek... The word is baptizo, right? Um, And the word baptizo means to wash. And even in the scriptures, there's uh, one place where 
Jesus says, you baptize your cups and your plates, meaning you do what with them? Wash, right? They didn't have dishwashers then, so you had to actually wash them. That's what the word baptize means, to wash, to wash, okay? Um, So that's what we do in baptism is we wash. Now there's a question in in the wider Christian world about how do you do this, okay? There are some who say it is only a baptism if the person goes completely into the water, Okay, uh, some of the Baptists say this. The person has to be completely under the water, and uh, that's when it counts as a baptism. There are some people who say um, you just can do a little bit, like pour some water, and it doesn't have to be completely under. Um, what's the truth about this question? The real question is, how much water do you have to apply? Because I've, I've heard where in emergency, this would be totally wrong, in emergencies, uh, like, uh, they could use just a spit and use the word. I suppose you could use spit. Um, oh. I've yeah, um, in a in a real emergency, I suppose that could be a possibility. If we had the option, obviously, <laughs> we we wouldn't want to do that, which which terribly limits that. But I think the idea behind that in the amount is there a prescription in the scriptures about how much water you must use? The answer is no. Is Putting someone completely underwater valid? Because what's the rules? We have to have water combined with God's word. That would count, wouldn't it? We could also, in an emergency, when there's a baby, like uh, in the NICU who's not doing well, um, you can use an eyedropper with a couple drops of water. That that's good too. It doesn't say in the scriptures. Um, baptize them with three tablespoons of water in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say baptize them with 150 gallons of water in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It just says baptize. So any amount of water is perfectly acceptable. Even some of the uh, Armenian Christians, go home and YouTube Armenian uh, Christian baptisms, because they, they do them all on one day of the year. And uh, the, the bishop of their church takes the little teeny tiny baby, smaller than, than your baby, right? And they have a giant font. And the priest goes, whoosh, whoosh. And the baby's going, whoosh. It's And the moms, that's the best part, right? Because, you know, the baby doesn't know what's happening. Um, and the dad's like, yeah, baptize the heck out of that baby. But the moms, what are they all doing? <laughs> so um, any amount of water combined with God's word is a valid baptism. All right. Why do you think that um, some of these other churches have these perspectives where it's like, 
I think um, the place they get that, if you want my honest opinion, this is what I was taught when I was a kid. For them, it's your promise, and the action of baptizing itself doesn't do anything. Your promise is the thing that does it. But what the action of being completely submerged in their mind does is um, it is like you have been buried underground, under something, and then you are rising out of it. And so visually and in a practical sense, you're going under and coming back out. And that's where I think it comes from. That's what I was taught as a... A kid. Yeah, sure. What about, um, I know a gal who was baptized daughter, but she joined the Baptist church, and she, she, like I said, she'd been baptized. She was sprinkling. But when she joined the Baptist church, she had to be baptized again. Yeah, complete submersion then. Yeah, and again, that is taking and applying a human idea and thought, like we were just talking about, to what God's Word actually says. It's a rational argument. And even with the Baptists, the problem is this, right? We're just jumping all over, so I hope if you have, go and read this when you get home, and if you have questions, let me know. They also, because it's your work, would say that if you were baptized as a baby, sprinkled, like we do, that you didn't actually make a promise, and thereby your baptism wasn't valid. And they take that same argument and they say, what happens if you make the promise and are baptized, and then you fall short of your promise? What's that mean? If it's your work, that means you didn't do what you were supposed to, and it wasn't a valid baptism, and thereby you also need to be re-baptized. And this time you really need to make the promise and keep it. And I know people who have been baptized 10, 12, 15 times because they make the promise, I'm going to live as a Christian, I'm going to invite Christ into my heart, and then they go out and they sin, and they come back and they say, no, this time I really mean it, I'm going to do it again. Now, what's, besides throwing out God's word, what's the other problem with that? If it's your work and that's what you're doing, can you ever have any confidence that you are going to be saved by it? Well, I suppose in the beginning, yeah, that's definitely what you're saying. And then uh, a terrible reality comes crashing down upon you afterwards where uh, you, you as a Pharisee now have fallen short and failed, and thereby you need to do it again and again and again. And there's no assurance in that. There's no confidence in that. Okay. Whereas if it's God's promise, how many times do I need to be baptized? Yeah, because does God keep his promises? Absolutely. 
Absolutely he does. Even when you are baptized and then say you fall away from the Christian church for a while and then return, do you need to be rebaptized? No, because God made the promise and now he's still fulfilling it in the first baptism. This is what the scripture teaches, right? One Lord, one faith, one baptism, okay? Um, not one Lord, one faith, many baptisms. It's the one baptism, okay? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. What if you... Um, maybe I should just back up for a second. What word should we say with the bapti- baptism? Remember, we have Matthew 28. Jesus said, go and make disciples by baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So when we do a baptism, what word should we say? I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And if your baptism is water, and that word, is it a baptism? Yes. What if someone is baptized in the name, and there's churches that do this, so I'm sorry, in the name of the mother and the daughter and the womb? Is that a baptism? No. Okay? So even if you are coming into Lutheranism from some other church body, if you were baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit with water, we're not going to baptize you because you were baptized. But if you're coming into our church and you were baptized in the name of the mother and the daughter and the womb or of the oak and the elm and the maple or, you know, um, even if it was something vague like, I baptize you in the name of God. In that sense, we would baptize because we want to have the word that God says in the scripture, in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, applied with the water together. Okay? This was a question I had when I became a Lutheran because um, the church that I went to didn't teach the truth about baptism, so did it count? Well... It was in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit with water. It's a baptism. What if you're baptized, though, by the Mormons? I think they use the same language, don't they? I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But what's the problem? <laughs> That's right. These people aren't the same Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that we have. In that sense, we would rebaptize someone. Okay, I'm going down random paths here, but questions? Baptism is a sacrament. Is it required for salvation? And the <laughs> the answer is yes, but no. <laughs> if you have the opportunity to be baptized, should you be 
Yes. God says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Mark 16. Right? We definitely want people to be baptized. At the same time, if you are converting at the last moment, right? You're, you have cancer, you're about to die, your nephew comes in and preaches the gospel, and you say, yeah, I think you're right. I believe in Christ. And then you keel over. If your confession of that faith was true, but you didn't have the opportunity to be baptized, does that mean you're going to hell? We would say, no. And here's why. Baptism is a means of grace. It's a way that what Christ did on the cross comes to us here and now. That grace comes through baptism, it comes through the Lord's Supper, and it also comes through the Word, because who's always, always, always working in the Word? The Holy Spirit, and He can create faith by the Word. That said, if you hear the Word and the Holy Spirit creates faith, what's that faith want to do? The things Christ said, first and foremost among which is, be baptized. <laughs> and so, yes, baptism saves you. Peter writes that. It is possible to be saved. And the example that everybody uses is the thief on the cross. Right? But we don't, that's an argument from silence. We don't know if he is baptized or not. <laughs> but can God save you through the work of the Holy Spirit, just through the Word? Absolutely. If he does, then you should be baptized as quickly as possible. And the example of that is the Ethiopian eunuch in the book of Acts, who hears the Word, and then he looks over and what's he see? Well, here's some water. Shouldn't I be baptized? Yes, yes, you should. And they do it right then and there, and he's baptized. I don't know if that answered it or just muddled it up even more. Okay. If you believe, you should be baptized as soon as possible, and especially before you kick the bucket. <laughs> okay, if at all possible. How are these, these people that you know that have been baptized several times... Would the, would the church even agree to do that, that their church does? Or? Yes, because they believe that salvation is something you do, not something Christ does. And so if it can be your real commitment to actually be a Christian so that you can save yourself, they will facilitate that. And um, that's where that that beginning teaching that you're saving yourself is an error, and that's what it leads to. Lutherans don't do that, though, do they? No, we do not. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we try to baptize. We encourage moms and dads to come and bring their babies as quickly as possible after, after birth. So we've had some that... Um, a day or two after they've been here. We have some that are a month after. You know, there's a, there's a freedom there. But we encourage it to happen as quickly as possible. Shar, did I see your hand up? Our grandson, uh, 
on the park problems, and so they were going to do. And so my son called, and he said, they're going to do it now, Mom. And so I said, you sure that he's baptized? Well, one of his great uncles happened to be a, an Episcopal priest and was there, and he baptized him. And then his grandfather said to me, it was like he apologized for, to me for an Episcopal priest baptizing him. But I didn't, I, I just felt like he was baptized. That's what I wanted. Yeah. And in those instances, and, and the place where we have lots of these questions is with babies, right? When a baby's born and there's a problem. What should you do? Call, call a pastor. Now, what if the pastor is in Omaha and, and can't get here for an hour or further away? Here at Good Shepherd, we encourage you to call one of our elders. But even if you can't get a hold of one of them and there's an emergency, water and the Word is the important part. And, and anyone can do a baptism, and we'll do a recognition of it in the service, but see how good I am? Turn right to the page. <laughs> in the back of the hymnal, which if you haven't stolen one from church yet, do so. Um, in the back of the hymnal on page 1023, we have a right for emergency baptism. When you can't get a pastor there, or if it, only an elder can get there, this is what they will do. Um, because what's important is the water and the word. And then that gives us a sense of comfort that God has made this promise to this individual no matter what happens. So. Yes. Again, we encourage you to call the pastor first. Call an elder. But don't wait <laughs> if it's an emergency. Yeah, yeah. What happens if that baptism doesn't take place um, and baby dies or even sometimes baby dies during birth or right before birth? Okay, that can happen. Um, that's where we go back to the question we, we were asked a minute ago by Kyle. Um, is baptism necessary for salvation? Yes, but no. And we hope that mom, while baby's growing, is in church, is partaking in the Lord's Supper, is hearing the Word, and that baby is hearing the Word at the same time, and that mom and dad are faithful Christians who are, are going to raise the baby in the faith. Because that gives us the most hope that the Holy Spirit is working there as well. We, we wouldn't say that that baby's automatically going to hell, right? The same way we, we can't say, as, as a pastor, I'm not the one who gets to make the call if Deb goes to heaven or hell. Who makes that call? God. God. Now, if baby we know is baptized or, you know, Deb 
comes to church every week, is baptized, receives the Lord's Supper. When she does die someday, what can we say at her funeral? She came and received God's gifts, and God gave her faith through those. And that's the same thing we'd be able to say about that faithful family's baby, too. I don't know if that makes sense. The baptism part does give us a lot more certainty in that comfort. Okay. Try, let me look real quick and see what things we have. Um, normally, who does a baptism? The pastor. Okay? And um, the pastors will come and do it in the hospital. You know, we like to try and talk with parents who are expecting babies before, you know, as they get to the end of the pregnancy, say, here's our phone number, call us if you need us. Um, so we'll make sure to do that as well. Pastors normally do it. Who do we baptize? We baptize babies. Um, I tell you what, we're out of time. We'd have to start there next week. So next week, let's start with the question about the age of accountability, Okay. The vicar believes in that, but um, <laughs> we'll, we'll start there and talk about that, and we'll try and get through baptism. Uh, that might cover the bulk of what we need left to talk about. Sound like a plan? All right. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen. All right. Happy Mother's Day, by the way. Or a friendly reminder to all you dads and kids who forgot. <laughs> <laughs>